For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. It is Tuesday, September 5th. What does Taylor Swift have in common with Charter Communications, the cable TV company? I've recently given both of them a lot of money, of course. But they also both just did something that challenges the norms of the entertainment business. Let's start with Charter, which has about 14 million pay TV subscribers under the Spectrum brand. I'm one of them. You've probably read about the standoff with Disney over carriage fees for the Disney networks, ESPN, ABC, FX, the others. All dark on Spectrum right now. No US Open, no Jeopardy. Very upsetting. These kinds of carriage fees disputes are pretty common especially this time of year. They're usually resolved before the NFL season begins. And the network owner usually gets a big fee increase because Spectrum is not going to just not have Monday Night Football. But this Disney charter fight is different, or at least the charter CEO, Chris Winfrey, is saying it's different. He says he won't agree to Disney's demand for $1.50 extra per customer unless Disney lets charter sell more cable packages without those expensive Disney channels like ESPN essentially greater unbundling to reduce costs. And he wants Disney to throw in its streaming services like Disney Plus and Hulu for free, at least the ad-supported version. Because in his argument, these services use a lot of the same content from Disney's linear channels. And the money that Charter pays Disney, about $2 billion a year, is used to make shows for those services that take customers away from the Charter bundle, which, along with the other cable and satellite providers, has lost about 25 million customers over the past five years. Disney is freaking out because this isn't just about money. Charter basically wants to nuke the traditional pay TV system as Disney has exploited it for decades now, where we all pay for channels we don't watch. So which side will blink? There are huge implications for the entire entertainment ecosystem. Just like when Taylor Swift decided to make her own concert film and go around the studio system to release it directly in theaters via AMC. Traditionally, if you wanted to do a concert movie, or any movie really, you enlist a studio to finance it, market it, and distribute it. But Taylor paid for this film herself. They shot it over three of her LA shows, and she doesn't need a studio to market it. A couple posts on social will do plenty for her fans. And AMC can put it in its own theaters and have a small distributor handle the other chains. Boom. Taylor goes direct to theaters, direct to her fans, and potentially keeps a bigger chunk of the box office than if she dealt with the studio. They sold $26 million in tickets and just at AMC theaters on the first day. Not bad. But is that model replicable? Same with Charter. Is this a one-off fight 
or a sign of the slow and then all at once demise of the cable TV bundle. We've got Lucas Shaw in here today to discuss both Taylor, Charter, and the end of a cruel summer. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg. Welcome back, Lucas. Great to be here. A little uh, little Beyonce sleep deprived. Yeah, I will not ask you to compare the Beyonce and Taylor Swift shows because this podcast is not about comparing female pop stars. But did you enjoy last night? Yeah, Beyonce is uh, an amazing performer. Okay. Diana Ross as a special guest. Yeah, saying happy birthday. I saw that. Um, although, unfortunately, my entire social media feed is dominated by Timothy Chalamet making out with Kylie Jenner. So, unfortunately, that's where we are in the culture. Where do you, where do you stand on that relationship? People I'm do anti. Come to you. I'm anti. anti. Yeah, I'm anti. I, I don't know why, but, like, I kind of expected more from him than a Kardashian. But maybe I, maybe I, my, uh, my confidence in him was misplaced. I think a lot of people don't understand Timothy Chalamet. You look at who he likes to hang around with. He's very popular with a kind of a certain, maybe more hipstery crowd, but I don't think that those are like necessarily his people. You think he's basic? No, not basic. It's just like I don't. I'm. I. I. I, sh- I shouldn't speculate as to who his friends. You think are. when given the chance to date a Kardashian, he's going to date a Kardashian? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would probably make that make that decision. <laughs> All right, no one's no one's here for our takes on Timothy Chalamet's dating life. Let's talk about a carriage fight. We're gonna do Taylor. <laughs> we're gonna do Taylor, and we're gonna do a carriage fight today. But let's start with carriage fights because honestly, these are usually the most boring things to cover in entertainment. They are so predictable. They pop up right when the football season is about to begin or the Super Bowl is coming, and they exchange some press releases. The network side wants more money for their networks. The carriage side doesn't want to pay it. And then they work out a deal and all is restored before the NFL season comes about. This one, at least for now, seems a little bit different. It's not just about money. If you look at what the CEO of Charter Communications, Chris Winfrey, said on Friday, he said, we're on the edge of a precipice. We're either moving forward with a new collaborative video model or we're moving on. That sounds like more existential then simply, we don't want to pay you guys the money that you want. The implication in Winfrey's statement is that if Disney doesn't get more realistic in its asks, that Charter will no longer carry Disney's TV networks. They'll just move on and their package will not have them. Five years ago, that would have been suicide. Can you imagine a cable provider not having ESPN or ABC? I'm still skeptical that they would go that far just because if you don't offer... ESPN and ABC, there is a really substantial portion of your customer base that will bail and go someplace else. So it feels like it's maybe just more extreme posturing. But these media companies like Disney have been squeezing out more and more money from cable providers for networks that fewer and fewer people watch. ESPN has been more stable, but almost everything else. And at the same time are creating these streaming services that compete directly with cable. They're using the money they get paid from a charter to fund these competitive streaming services. It feels to me like there's a middle ground, right? Because what charter seems to want is to be able to offer some of the Disney ad-supported streaming services for free if it's going to pay Disney more for ESPN and FX and Nat Geo. Yeah, they want those to be free 
And they also want greater choice to offer their customers packages without the Disney channels, which if I'm Bob Iger and Jimmy Pitaro, there is a significant chunk of the charter subscriber base that doesn't care about ESPN and probably would love to not pay $10 a month for a channel they don't watch. Yeah, but don't we think there's somewhere in the middle where, okay, maybe Charter has to sell the Disney services as an add-on, but the increases for the Disney networks aren't as great? I don't know. that. Maybe I'm being too much of like a, a compromised person or a deal-making person, but I find it hard to believe that Charter's really going to bail on these Disney networks, and I find it hard to believe that Disney wants to have its networks not on the second largest cable provider for a really long time. Like They're going to have to do a deal. But essentially what you are advocating is for some kind of a compromise. And if Disney compromises on this and does take the most expensive channels out of packages on a you know wider basis, they want something like 50 or 60% of the packages could be offered without those channels. That does kind of blow up the model and it would set a template for other distributors who might say, oh, we want the charter deal. And then slowly, slowly, and then all at once, the cable bundle is blown up. My question is, Who has the leverage here? Because in the past, when we've covered these carriage disputes, ultimately, it was always the networks that had the leverage. They had the content. The consumers demanded the content. And if you were CBS, you knew you had these guys over a barrel and you could demand more and more and more because you had the big shows and you had football and the consumers would go nuts if they didn't have it. Now, because the subscriber base has dropped so much. Charter is in other businesses. Charter primarily makes its money from selling broadband. The video business is not what it once was for Charter because the subscriber base has gone down in part because these partners that they have have been selling competing digital services for five to seven years now and are taking those customers away. So the leverage, I think, has shifted here from the networks to the providers. And that's why we're seeing this blow up the way it did. You know, I think the networks still have more leverage, right? Because I'm a sports fan and I never draw too much from personal anecdote, but I really wanted to watch the US Open. I'm a charter customer. I live in Los Angeles. Charter is like practically... You and I are both spectrum, baby. I signed up for YouTube TV because I did the math and I was like, okay, if I want to watch the US Open for the next 10 days, one month of YouTube TV is like seven bucks a day, eight bucks a day. I'll totally pay that. And by the way, if I wanted to, when baseball season's over and I don't need Charter for the Dodgers anymore, I could just drop Spectrum and go full to YouTube TV, which I know from past experience is a better product. So I do think that the networks do have more leverage, but they don't have as much leverage as they used to because to your point, they've created these competing products. And if you're Disney and you're saying, we're going to offer ESPN separate one day, It's totally reasonable for Charter to say, well, then why do we need to have it fully distributed and pay as much if you're just going to compete with us in 12 to 18 months? Right. And if it weren't for the Dodgers channel that is on Spectrum, I would also go full YouTube TV or Hulu Live, you know, one of the other services. But they've stuck me in because of that one channel that I want that I would gladly pay 10 to 15, 20 dollars a month for during the season if it was offered that way. But it's not. And if Disney is having a problem with Charter and Disney has the most in-demand channel in ESPN, what's going to happen to these other cable network 
companies, Warner Discovery, Paramount Global, Comcast to a certain extent, although they're a buyer and a seller in this situation. There's no coincidence that the stocks of these other companies dropped when this carriage fight broke out because I think investors and the executives of this company are looking at the entire landscape and saying, okay, the gloves are off now. These cable providers are not afraid to push back. And we're going to see one after another fights over this stuff. And honestly, what's to prevent Charter from just dropping the Viacom channels, dropping the Paramount Global channels? They don't have a must-have. All of mm. the... Yeah, that's, do that's, they? Some, that's some CBS slander. Okay, CBS maybe, but CBS is available for free. It's why those companies had to merge, because the Paramount cable networks on their own, you're right. Would you really be suffering if, if you didn't offer MTV or Comedy Central or BET at or, this Or point? Nickelodeon, no. all right. of which is their content is available on Paramount+. Plus. Even most of the CBS content is available on Paramount+. Plus. That's the difference. ESPN content is not available on any Disney service yet. And CBS, if you want to watch football, you can be a Paramount Plus subscriber and cut the cord. You can watch pretty much everything that CBS offers. We're already seeing the pain of this and the results of a lot of these companies where through a combination of subscriber losses and not being able to get the same increases in the pricing from distributors, these media companies are reporting declines in affiliate fees. Advertising has gone down, affiliates gone down. We are seeing the dismantling of the cable system. And the question is, at what point it fully breaks? And also to your point earlier about you would, you would pay 20 bucks a month for the Dodgers. Will we see anyone really try that? Or are we just going to replicate cable networks? Uh, in well, I think the Yankees are trying it. You can get Yes Network over the top. And it's like 30 bucks, I think. I don't know how many people are doing that. But th there are like two or three sports franchises. Yeah. yeah the Yankees, the Red Sox, a few sure. of those where the fan bases are so loyal. And baseball is one where you can do it because baseball is such a regional sport. And it's on all the time. Yes. Yeah. Football is a national sport. It doesn't make any sense. That's still going to be distributed yeah. via well, the Well, and the, the bankruptcy of the RSN, the regional sports networks, is forcing a lot of these teams to try it, like what Phoenix is trying with the NBA. And there's a couple of small market teams uh, in, the, in the Midwest that are trying this. But it's not clear that that revenue is ever going to be replaced. Do you think that this is all, that the impetus for all of this was Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, saying that they are speeding up the timetable for taking ESPN over the top? I think the impetus was just what we've what we've seen play out for the TV business and what we we talk about so often. But that's is, a big move. That's a big middle finger to the entire cable universe. You know, that's the channel other than like Fox News or perhaps some of the other, you know, news-oriented channels taking ESPN over the top and offering it as a subscription streaming service with all the same content would basically kill the cable bundle or accelerate its decline significantly. Back when there used to be like 100 million people paying for linear TV or close to, the complaint and what led to cord cutting was always like a quarter of those people or whatever the number is or a third of them really cared about sports and wanted to pay for ESPN. I wonder what the share is now because we've seen such atrophy in the, the subscriber base for cable and satellite packages. And I'd imagine the people who've stuck around right. are primarily sports fans and older viewers. 
And so I wonder if now like half the people paying for cable are sports diehards. I don't know. Yeah, or people in in kind of broadband deserts where the connections aren't great. I think that it's easy for us in big cities to say, oh, we'll just switch. But it's not. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people don't. Uh, but I agree with you that it's probably a bigger percentage of sports fans because those are the people it's worth 100 bucks a month to have the option of watching whatever college football game is on at any moment. Before we move on, where does this end? Give me a prediction. They reach a deal, I want to say by the end of weekend one of the NFL, but we'll know we're in a new and, and far more perilous place if this drags on for like three weeks or a month. Yeah, our friend John Arond at Sports Business, he reported that Iger and Chris Winfrey are chatting. I don't know what that means, but that could mean some kind of a deal. Or it could just mean that they are preparing for a future without each other. Uh, I doubt that, though. I agree with you there. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Daylight Saving Time is back. Wait, wasn't that a movie from 2009? Okay. Anyway, I do love more hours of daylight. But if you're hiring, it really doesn't matter. Because even though it may feel as if your day is longer, it won't help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. Once you post your job, ZipRecruiter sends it to 100-plus job sites and then uses smart technology to find people with the skills and experience to match the position. So spring forward with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers get a quality candidate within the first day. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com town. Tap the banner to learn more. All right, let's move on to another disruptor. Someone who also is looking at the landscape and deciding to do something a little different. Taylor Swift, my favorite topic. Really your favorite topic. It, it really is. I know. I've become uh, the number one news source for Taylor Swift news over the last uh, couple of weeks. Taylor Swift did a deal with AMC Theaters. Her father actually negotiated, her parents negotiated with the CEO of AMC, Adam Aaron. They are taking her concert film directly to her fans via AMC Theaters, bypassing a studio and she gets benefits and she's doing this for a number of reasons. I think the economics of it are great for her, although they didn't really do this just for the money. The goal was to put it in it in theaters at a reduced price. So her fans that could not afford to go to the heiress tour would have an opportunity to see it in theaters. Um, the prices are less than $20 for adults and 13 for kids. The other reason is dealing with a studio is a pain in the ass. Everything that I've heard about this deal was that Scott Swift, the father, went to the studios and said, okay, we have this asset. We paid for this movie ourselves. We are going to have a studio partner and someone to distribute it, but make us an offer. And one by one, the studios kind of wouldn't commit to releasing it right away, or they were talking about 2025 initially. And they just said, you know what? Screw it. We're going to go directly to AMC. Do you see this as a big deal, something that's replicable, or is Taylor Swift a one-off and this is not that big of a deal and we should all calm down? I don't mean to, to make this be a downer, but I think it's a one-off. I, I don't think there are very many pop stars who have the infrastructure or the fan base to do this themselves. You just said you went to Beyonce and it was an amazing show. Wouldn't you go and see a Beyonce movie in theaters? I said I don't think there are many. Okay. Beyonce is probably one of the one of the few. She ha Beyonce has made, you know, 
visual albums, movies, whatever you want to, yeah. however you want to parse it. There was a documentary that I believe was was an HBO project. She's definitely done this before. Well, what the route has been to sell them to streamers in the past few years. I mean, there have been experiments. Chance the Rapper did one with AMC. Chance the Rapper did a similar deal where he did a deal directly with AMC to put in theaters. We don't know how that did. I imagine it did not do that well because we didn't know about it until this deal happened. But if you look at the trajectory of concert films, like go back 10 or 15 years, and there was actually like a flood of concert movies released in theaters. Yeah, the Bieber movie did $100 million. There was a Bieber movie. There was a Katy Perry movie. The Michael Jackson movie was the biggest of them all. And I think sort of helped kick this off. There were a ton of concert movies. And that was seen as sort of a low-cost way to use star power to get people into theaters. That transitioned to streaming for two reasons. One is the theatrical business got more challenging. And two, the streaming services saw the same opportunity we can use a famous face to get people to come and try our service. And so they paid pretty substantial sums of money. Taylor Swift did one for Netflix. Oh, yeah. These were like $20, $30 million, essentially, free paydays for these artists because they were going to do the concert film anyway. And they just say, oh, yeah, streamer, you would like to pay me $30 million for access to my you know, concert footage? Great. I think you could see like a couple of artists with the ability to fill a theater. But it's like, it's a Taylor Swift, it's maybe a Beyonce, there are a couple of other people. I think otherwise, those concert movies are pretty firmly in the streaming camp. And I don't, and, and it requires someone like Taylor Swift, who, by the way, has, a you know, she does a lot of things differently from other artists in terms of controlling different facets of, of the process. And so it makes sense that she would feel she has the ability to do a direct deal. I mean, she also controls her own masters at this point. Right. And she can front $20 million to make this concert film. And the trailer actually looks pretty premium. It looks good. It looks theatrical. And I mean, she has her family doing her deals. It's kind of nuts that she would, her dad would do a film distribution deal. And it's pretty complicated. If you want to know the details of the breakdown and who's making what money, I, I put them in my puck newsletter. But generally speaking, the split here, AMC is the distributor of the movie. And this, Taylor Swift family is the studio, so to speak. And they did a deal with exhibitors. AMC is one of those exhibitors, but they're putting it in all theater chains or as many as, as want it. And the split between the theaters and the studio distributor side is 57-43, which is a little more favorable to the studio, but is pretty standard for something that's going to be a hit. And then the economics of the split between AMC as the distributor and the Swift family is very favorable to the Swift family. So she is going to end up making more than half of the box office for this film, according to my sources. And this film could do a couple hundred million dollars. It's only North American release right now. Um, it will probably roll out around the world once her tour has finished up in those markets. But uh, this could end up being, you know, all in after it's gone around the world, a four, five hundred million dollar grocer. So you think it'll be the biggest concert film ever? Oh, I do. Yeah. What's the Michael Jackson number Two something? It did almost three. Yeah, maybe 260 okay. or something. I think so. I think this is a hundred million dollar weekend. I mean, if you look that she sold twenty six million dollars worth of tickets on the first day at only AMC theaters. AMC has, what, 40% of the market, 30, 40% of the market in this country. So extrapolate that 
and extrapolated out over all the ticket buying. And that's a $100 million opening weekend. So you think it's going to beat Oppenheimer? No. <laughs> Eight, I, 850 I, I, million? No, I do not. I think it'll top out. The fans will see it. But you know what? Taylor Swift has also proven very savvy about getting people to pay multiple times for her product. So what's to say there isn't like a director's cut that then pops up in theaters after three weeks to get everyone to go back or a special commemorative pen or cup or something that you get if you go back. There's going to be many different ways to exploit this concert film. And I think it'll probably go to streaming after it runs in theaters. That part of the deal has not been set yet. The priority was to do this in theaters so the fans could have that communal experience. They're giving away free posters at the AMC and Cinemark locations when it premieres. That's the priority, but they'll probably sell it to streaming at some point and they'll make hundreds of millions of dollars off this. Taylor Swift could make close to a billion dollars just off one tour. Polestar says the gross of the tour is going to be 1.4 billion, which would be a record by a lot. Right. But she obviously doesn't keep 1.4 billion. But also, there are likely going to be more dates added. I mean, we don't know how many dates she will ultimately play. This thing could go on and on and on as long as she's healthy and willing to do it. I mean, Ed Sheeran is still freaking touring. Yeah. I mean, I think her margin on that is still like she's keeping less than half of it. But yeah, when you factor in if she gets if she, if she personally pockets a couple hundred million dollars from this movie, I agree with you that it'll beat Michael Jackson just because she has turned this entire concert into such an event. You have all of these fans, many of whom didn't get to see her, many of whom saw her and want to go back and relive it. Will there be repeat viewers? Will someone go weekend one and go again weekend oh, two? Oh yeah, three? Craig will be there four or five times. The question is, all of these fans who went and shelled out the money. A lot of those fans have friends and kids and others that they didn't want to pay for to go to the concert. The core fans want to relive it and take their 20 friends that they couldn't bring with them to the concert. It's going to be a phenomenon for the first two weeks. The question is, how long will it last? Because they carved out a pretty big window for this. I mean, it could play as long as like four months in theaters. All the other movies that were scheduled on October 13th have now dissipated. Even the Blumhouse movie, the, the Exorcist sequel, which was supposed to be the one of the biggest movies of the fall, they freaked out that same day and moved it to the week before because they knew that didn't matter how good the Exorcist movie is, it was going to open number two. I think it'll get to 100 million. It could get to 150. We have seen these social media-fueled opening weekends far outpace expectations. And if there's anyone who knows how to manipulate her social media feeds, it's Taylor Swift. And there will be memes, there will be parties, concerts, dress up things. It will, I think it will become a phenomenon. All right. So Lucas, before you go, give me your prediction. Taylor Swift heiress tour opening weekend. I have a hundred. I'm taking a hundred. I've been under on this thing. So maybe I'll go 110. Oh, your price is writing me. I am Price is Writing You, yes. Oh, that's bullshit. Why is that bullshit? You got to play the game. Okay, but all right, whatever. <laughs> I, think, I actually think that I think you'll probably win, but whatever. We'll, I came we'll... close to saying 125, but then I'm surrendering all this territory. Okay. Why would all I right. do that? Yeah, why don't you just go 101? We need to make you guys choose at the same time. That's what we have to do. Yes. Okay, we'll do that in the future. But uh, I, will take, I will take 100. Hopefully it'll come in just over that and I will win. All right, Lucas, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. 
All right, we're back with the call sheet. Craig, are you following all these reviews out of the Venice and Telluride Film Festivals? Yeah, with with Saltburn and with Poor Things, this is a really explicit fall we're headed to. Very, very explicit. Now, there's a bunch of the movies that have premiered. You know, the, obviously, this is the testing ground for Oscar movies. Everyone's trying to jockey for position. A little different this year because very few stars are in attendance to get attention for their movies. But the one movie that seems to be jumping out at people as an early Oscar contender is this movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, the Greek filmmaker that did The Favorite a couple of years ago, also with Emma Stone. And it is pretty wild. I have not seen it yet, but it is being described as they're using all these terms like it's a brave performance by Emma Stone and it's out there and wild. It's, you know, and it basically it's extremely sexually graphic. Yeah. I don't know what's up, what's going on right now, but there seems to be a lot of kind of uh, nudity in movies lately. No hard Are you feelings. Saying nudity is back. Poor things. Nudity might be back. <laughs> no. A-list nudity might be back. Nudity. It's never really went away, but now it's back. It's like Bob's big boy. So, my prediction is that this is a is going to be an all category Oscar film. I think Poor Things is the kind of thing that it's got searchlight behind it, track record with Oscars, and this is the kind of movie that would have turned off the Academy even 10 years ago, but there are so many more younger and foreign members of the Academy now that are less prudish about this stuff. I think this will be an all category contender. And yes, I am saying that without having seen it, but you can kind of read the tea leaves. The interesting thing is how the stars are promoting and quasi-promoting their movies this season. Yeah, these covert promotional tactics. I know, it's civilians. kind of hilarious. Emma Stone was at the Telluride Film Festival not promoting her movie, we were told many, many times in the many media mentions of Emma Stone at the Telluride Film Festival. She was just there as a civilian, watching some movies with her friends, hanging out, and she happened to have an Oscar contender premiering at the same festival. Yeah, like, is that looked down on by SAG? I don't know. What are they going to do? I mean, they're going to harp on her. But it is hilarious that, she, of course, she was mentioned in all the coverage. They were talking about this on Jam Session last week, the other Ringer pod, about how, you know, we haven't seen anything about Bradley Cooper's personal life in like two years. And then on the eve of his movie Maestro premiering at Venice, he didn't go to promote the film, yet we saw lots of photos of his vacation with his ex-girlfriend and the mother of his child. And they were speculating on Jam Session that maybe those two things are related. Yeah, I mean, if Timothy Chalamet was smart, he would have come out with Kylie Jenner right before Wonka came out. Uh, he should have saved it. He should have He should have saved yes. it for the Wonka non-press tour. That may be in the works. He may pop up on Kardashians this season. We're joking, but this is a thing. These stars need to get attention for these movies. And if they can get into the headlines some other way besides promoting their movies officially, I think some of them are going to do it. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. If they, if a bunch of people start doing it, maybe SAG will crack down. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw, producer Craig Holbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week.